thanks for reaching out and asking to be on the show. Uh, thanks for letting me in because uh, I think of all the guests, at least those that appeared on the podcast uh, until today, I'm like the least famous one, if one can even call me that. So, but I I just was listening to the first episode when I heard uh, you having an idea for this add a person button to the website or become a person. So <laughs> I just decided to just reach out before the button was even there. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you. You use Python uh, on a regular basis. How long have you used Python? Um, actually, it's almost ten years at this point. But it, the first five years has been have been so so flaky uh, because I first discovered Python when I was actually uh, studying or not studying, learning how to make Android apps. And one of the parts of the curriculum was. Uh, APIs with Python uh, hosted with Google App Engine. And this is how I first got introduced to the language. And I remember having a lot of issues with it at the begin in the beginning, because uh, especially with Python 2, uh, yeah. uh, which couldn't handle Unicode strings, or at least I couldn't really figure out how to handle Unicode strings. And I remember having an API which would before sending everything to the server to Google App Engine, it would transform everything into base64 and then decode it client side because it just couldn't figure out how to uh, save strings with non-Latin characters in there. But after that, when I started studying at the university, we've had a Python and Django course, and this is how I picked up Python in the second time in my life. And I've been doing it ever since for basically every, Everything I do, every little idea that I have, I try to make with Python. Okay, so you learned Python and Django at the same time? Or yes. Uh, this Well, the this was a course at the university, and the first two lectures were like Python syntax basics and everything. And then we started doing more uh, with Django. But it was basically at the same time, yeah. Okay, that's pretty cool. I know that a lot... I've actually heard that some people came to Python... Uh, for Django, they were like learn Django first and then backfilled with whatever Python knowledge they needed, which is interesting. I definitely Python wasn't on my radar when I was in college. Uh, so, uh, speaking of college, you had you wrote down that you had some some notes on uh, college education. Uh, yeah. Um. So I started college back in 2017. Uh, when I graduated from school, it was back in Russia. So I started at uh, my local university in Kazan. And after two years, I uh, have migrated to Germany and started uh, studying here at the university. And uh, for me, there was I was really not planning this through. This was I mean, it wasn't spontaneous, but it wasn't really well-planned either. So I just picked a city where I have already been in Germany, and I just picked the university that was in this city, and I kind of never looked to any other options. And this was a grave mistake because um, uh, when you look at the Germans, uh, Germany's... Um, higher education system, they have two main things. They have universities and they have the faculty schools or higher schools or whatever you want to call them. And uh, speaking of diploma and prerequisites, they're both the same. But for me, my horizon was like so close that I thought university is something for 
like smart, successful people, someone, uh, somebody like me, as I thought of myself. And the other, the higher schools is something like for those who haven't uh, gotten into universities, where actually the difference is that the universities is theoretical and the higher schools are more practical knowledge. Oh, yeah. And for okay. me, for as a person who just wants to write code and create projects, the theoretical education at the university was rather not the thing that I wanted and I expected for me. So this was like another four years of me studying maths and calculus and uh, theoretical stuff. A lot of interesting topics, but not those which in, in which I would want to invest this much time and this much stress <laughs> with the whole exams and stuff. Um, I had no idea that the separation of universities existed before I got to college either. Um, so uh, the, and I actually don't even know what it's called, I guess uh, in the, in the United States, there's a, um, there are differences, I think, at least in the, in the Northwest, they're separated often against um, uh, state universities and uh, I guess non-state they're both, they're both like public schools, but like for instance, uh um, your University of Oregon is where I got my CS degree and it was more on the theoretical side, um, like you and Oregon state was more on the practical side, uh, more, um, I guess, uh, uh, more engineering and less, uh, theory, I guess. Um, I didn't really see it too much in computer science because I mean, all, most of CS, a lot of CS was, uh, practical, um, but I probably I probably should have gone to uh, Oregon State, but I chased my girlfriend to Eugene, and that was in that was where U of O was. I didn't I didn't pick the I picked the city and then the school, not the other way around. Um, I'm kind of glad that I did that though, actually, because throughout my career, I've had more of a, a big picture look at everything we're doing and everything I'm doing in in work too. And I think maybe that I got that from the university. So anyway. Um, so how, how, how far did you go? Did you, did you get a, um, did you get a CS degree or whatever the equivalent is in Germany? Or? Uh, yeah, I, I have gotten my, uh, bachelor degree now. Uh, I still do not have the final, uh, GPA or whatever, because one of the professors who looks at my bachelor thesis is in Berlin, which is not where I am. So this whole Communication has to happen via paper posts, so they have to print out my thesis and then send it to him, and then he has to read it on paper, and then he has to uh, sign it with his pen and then send it back via post. So I still has do not know what my GPA is, but yeah, I've got my bachelor degree, and uh, I actually was planning to do a master's right after this, but then I I just got so tired of university and the constant exams and the constant uh, <laughs> courses. I just, I just didn't want to do this anymore. And I just decided, no, I'm going to look for a job. And I actually have a job offer now. So pretty, pretty fast how the things went for me um, over the course of like a few months. Okay, awesome. Well, congrats. Congratulations. I hope that you have exciting uh, fun job is it is it uh in person or remote or uh it's uh hybrid so the first three months are completely in person and then i have like 60 percent uh remote and it's in a city 
next to mine, so I will have to uh, ride a train like 30 minutes uh, one way and then 30 minutes back. Yeah, but it's fine. Uh, the main thing for me that is that it's a Python and a Django job, which uh, suits me well because in Germany this is like a very hard thing to find a Python job because there are very little companies, very few companies who uh, are ready to work with Python. Most of them are still like in the Java age and they say, yeah, we only want Java or even older, like there are companies that still work with COBOL uh, hmm. source bases. So uh, finding a Python job is definitely uh, that's awesome. Uh, a cool thing. Um, you have been. Um, you said you're the maintainer of Django Simple Menu. Yes. Um, or a maintainer. Is, yeah, I, I guess I'm. I'm a maintainer. I haven't really pushed new features or something like this, but I. Uh, so this is. A lot of things that I do, a lot of things I contribute to, including Django Simple Menu, just come from my day-to-day little struggles, which aren't really problematic for others, but for me, because I really love everything to be uh, structured and everything to be good-looking, clean code and all that. And uh, I was doing, like, for my job, which was, like, a part-time job at the university, I had to use a menu in a Django app, and I found this package, and I just noticed that it still, it hadn't a Python version set, and some bits of it were, like, Python 2, and uh, it was just, like, the project hasn't been updated for, like, a few years. And I have noticed that it's on Jazzband, which is something that I've heard of before, and for those who don't know, this is, like, a union of um, voluntarily uh, picked uh, Python developers who just support other open source projects in Python, mostly in Django world. So everyone can become a part of Jazzband and then one can uh, push code to the repositories. And I have nominated myself as a uh, maintainer for the package just to make it work uh, better on modern Python installations so that it doesn't spit out warnings when you try to install it or something. Uh, actually, and this is awesome. Yeah. I just, um, the, I think things like this are really great. The um, PyTest community has uh, the PyTest dev organization, which is, um, I guess, similar to the jazz band thing, which is uh, basic. Yeah. I, if I'm getting this right, it's a, a collection of people that are, uh, maintaining a collection of packages, but it doesn't yep. necessarily promise that it's actually going to be maintained. They just have the ability to. Um, and this is this seems like almost silly at first, but it's not because like there's uh, packages that often get they're very useful, but that somebody whoever developed them has moved on in their career. Maybe they're not using it anymore. They don't really care about it anymore. Um, and it's a bummer when those like don't get maintained anymore. Um, if, if people are still using them, there's a one that I, I started, um, uh, I've just recently started maintaining or am going to start maintaining in, in the process of getting permissions and everything for that very reason that the, the core developer, nothing wrong. He's not sick or anything. He's just not, he's not using it anymore. So, um, so there needs to be some other people. And it was cool that there was an organization there to say, hey, we'll reach out to the original contributor, make sure it's okay for you to come on board and everything. Um, and uh, Jazz Band uh, is, is at the very least, 
uh, I think it's similar to that, right? Yeah, it's actually was created for, for the sole purpose of acquiring uh, packages that aren't maintained anymore so that the maintainer can like give it off to a bunch of people and one of them will have time. And in inside of Jazzband, you can become like a actual maintainer of the package, which will give you access to releases and stuff. And uh, so this is not really a flash structure. It's like a two-step uh, structure. So you have all of the Jazzband members, they can push code and stuff, but only the maintainers of specific package can upload uh, PyPI releases. And I, I think the most... Uh, popular Jazzband uh, acquired package is pip tools with the pip compile. And, oh, cool. <laughs> uh, it's actually Jazzband also, I, I could actually like force push to the main branch and <laughs> remove that code, but I, I hope they have branch protections in place. They, so yeah. They could undo it if you, if you, if you were to go on a rampage, I think we could fix it, but. Um, but you wouldn't do that. So, uh, what is what is uh, simple about the simple menu that you that isn't built into Django? Um, it's like a mix. So, if you want to have a menu in Django, you usually uh, Django apps are like very determined. It's not like a CMS thing where you can have. Um, like some uh, dynamic amount of items that you want to display in your menu bars or something. So mostly people who write Django, they use uh, menus just with templates. So they just put the links to the pages that they need to in uh, directly in HTML code. And the other side of the compass is people who want to have it dynamic. So they create packages where you create menus inside of the Django admin, which are stored in the database, and the page can be updated based on this. And Django simple menu is, sits right in between there, where you do not want to write boilerplate HTML code for every link that uh, you want to display in your menu bar or something. And you also do not want to store it in a database. It allows you to write menus in Python files and... Um, also add uh, child menus. You can add some attributes, set icons, and all of this stuff. So it's basically, yeah, cool. code-based menus for Django. Yeah, I'm just looking at the little uh, simple menu example, and the example has uh, has your name in it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, this is the one thing that I did. The example was based on Django 1 or something, and when I came in, the, the latest version was 4.0, so I updated it to the latest LTS at this time, like 3.2, and made it look a bit better so that it's clear what the package actually does and how it works. Yeah. Yeah. So, and how long have you been um, helping out with this? I think it's about a year now. Okay. Uh, yeah. So so you've been using Django and Python for, you said, or, or maybe 10-ish years. Um, but uh, the... Um, uh, but this for a year. So do you th think that your, I guess your experience with Python and Django changed when you has changed from before you were helping contribute to after? Uh, it definitely has. I think, uh, contributing to open source is the only thing that makes me actually good in certain languages because I have tried like multiple different languages over the course of my lifetime, but I couldn't write a program in a single one of them except for, I guess, Python and JavaScript, the two languages that are primary for the projects that I do. 
So this is definitely the thing. I do not know if much uh, with Django, because when I started working with Django, it was like job related. So I actually had uh, also a lot of interest in staying in Django and working with Django. And the maintaining Django simple menu was at the first, it felt to me at least like a job um, task, even though it wasn't. So, okay. Yeah, but it definitely changes the mindset when you start uh, working with open source. I think it's also because you start working with other people. And like when I used to write code 10 years prior, I would, I don't know, I I never really looked at code formatting, at comments. I just wrote down anything that came to mind and I pushed it and it worked and I forgot about it. But now every time I write a line of code, I'm like thinking, will other people understand it when they come into my repository? Like after five years, will they be able to run it? Will they be able to decipher what my thought process was? (laughs) Nice. I think it's going to make you a better programmer just in your career as well then um, to uh, open. I think... I have a hard time finding anything in open source that doesn't translate into closed source. Um, well, so, and also just yourself. I mean, the, the, the next maintainer might be you a year from now. So it's good to good good to leave little uh, <laughs> notes so that you understand what you were talking about, unless you've got a way better memory than I do. Um, but anyway, um, so you, you moved from uh, Russia to Germany during college. Yeah, I, I basically um, dropped off my Russian college and got to into a German college. And the Russian college part of my life, it wasn't really that serious for me, or at least in the beginning. So it started because uh, I always wanted to go to German university. So I was planning this for a long time. But uh, Russian schools, they have 11 years of education and German schools have 12 or 13. So I couldn't get into German u- university because they would say, you don't have enough school education. Hmm. And it wouldn't matter to them that I know Russian schools, for example, have classes on Saturdays. So we have a more packed program. And in those 11 years, we actually do learn stuff that Germans learn in 12 years. But in order for me to get into university, I had to spend at least one year at a Russian college or at any other college that would accept me. But of one year, this they became two because German bureaucracy made me apply very early on. And when it was time for me to apply, I haven't theoretically graduated the first year of Russian college, so they wouldn't accept me anyway. So I had to do a second year. Okay. Um, so the the you had a desire to uh, go to a German university for for a while. Um, is it what, what like culturally? Is is living in Germany different from where you were before? Yes, it actually is, but I think it's in a good way different, at least for me, because. Um, I guess it's just everything follows the rules. You know, there there's rules for everything. Everything that's happening is written down somewhere in some form. And many people like from Russia and from other, from other countries, they find it quite difficult to adapt because they like think, oh, you can cut corners here and there. But in Germany, you kind of can't. So this is why. 
<laughs> and this this is a bonus for you, I guess. This is a bonus for me because everything is um, really easy to prognose. I guess it's just you know what ha- what's going to happen, and you know how it's happening, and there is a reason uh, things happen this way. And a lot of the times, it's there is not there are no good reasons or no good processes set in place, like with the whole bureaucracy thing. But at the same time, I know that if I, I don't know, if I ride a bus and I sit on a seat in a bus, I know that the minimum width of the seat in the bus is written down somewhere. So it's, <laughs> so, there is a law that says how big my like leg area and how wide my seat should be in the bus. And the, and just the fact that this bus rides in my city, this is uh, basically a confirmation to me that this bus is going to feel exactly like every other bus because they're all following the same laws and the same standards. Is this not something that you experienced in Russia? Nah, not really. Uh, in Russia, like we, it's a little bit chaotic, a little bit more chaotic. We do have standards and norms in place, and if you consider something like food, it's basically the same thing as in Germany. It's pretty good, the laws. So you do not have like genetically modified food or it has to be clearly stated that it is all of the allergens story and stuff. But when it comes to buses, this just like any machine a city can find will that will bring people from A to B, they will use. So <laughs> Interesting. I've been riding buses that are like older than, than me like magnitude of times. So I don't know from the sixties and they would still ride across the streets because they still work, even though they're, I don't know if they're even ecologically safe to drive at this point. So I can't, I can't remember if you mentioned it. Um, uh, What part of Germany are you in? I'm in, I'm basically, I'm near Hanover. This is like dead in the middle of Germany. So yeah, I've spent um I spent some time in Germany but mostly around Munich because my parent company mm. is uh, uh my company's based in Munich. Um and uh um when I was uh the first time I spent some time there uh with speaking of everything having rules, I didn't know the, all of the rules. <laughs> so one of the rules was stand on the right when you're on a uh, if you're going to stand on an escalator, stand on the right and walk on the left. Everybody knows that, right? I didn't know yeah. that. Uh, even though there's little signs there, anyway. We, there's sign there. There's signs all over America, but we don't really read them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, uh, I was uh, uh, I learned the. I'm probably going to get the pronunciation wrong, but Enschuldigen or something like that. Um, and um, I they I I got told that a lot, and I I asked a. Uh, asked a coworker and said, what, what are they meaning? And they, he said, how loud are they saying it? And I said, well, quiet at first, but then sometimes really loud. And he said, okay, um, it's, it's really get the hell out of the way. You're, you're doing this wrong. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. So, um, I don't know. Do you know what, what, what that means? That word? Is it- uh, and is basically sorry or apologies. Okay. But it's uh, not really it's- an apology. It's you get out of the way. You, you can use it as an apology, but in this case, it's probably like, uh, I'm sorry, can I like come through? You're standing in the way. <laughs> okay. So it's like this fake politeness, which I guess also many people don't like about Germans, but they do have this. Oh, oh, I don't know if it's fake politeness. It's politeness, even though they actually 
dislike you, but they will still be polite to you, but at the same time very direct. So well, I, I, it's just so something I about them. Yeah, I didn't get any rudeness from it. Really, what I the what I really he- heard in the tone and the mannerism was. I don't actually want to care about you and you are making me care about you because you're standing in front of me. Um, so uh, yeah, they're, they're never rude, but they're always <laughs> bringing the point <laughs> to you. Um, and then uh, the other thing that was uh, surprising to me, because I don't know if it's, it's all over America, but at least in the Northwest, we're a very friendly kind of people and we smile and wave at people. Even if I make contact, eye contact with somebody, I'm going to smile and nod or something, even if I don't know him just because, you know, we're both on the planet together. Um, I got weird looks like around walking around Munich like that, especially in, in the uh, city and stuff. Um, and uh, commented with somebody about that. And they was like, just, he said, they said, again, it's just that people are doing their own business and they don't know you and they, they they're thinking that you know them and that's disturbing to them that you're acknowledging them. So I don't know, maybe it's a regional thing. It's kind of is, especially for Munich, I think because uh, Munich has gotten so big. It's like one of the biggest cities in Europe. I would, I would even say. And for many people that are there, Munich is not really a city where they live. It's like their workplace. So they go there to work and uh, they expect others to, behave like you know like a person from a completely different part of your office building that you only meet in an elevator every morning but that's it so it's very little space for i don't know small talk and stuff but in russia it's like even worse because when i got to germany i was really amazed at how when you go to when you go grocery shopping like the cashiers would greet you and then say have a nice day at the end so this is like not what we do in Russia, not even this. So we can like greet each other, but it's nothing as friendly as uh, Germany makes it seem. <laughs> okay. Um, how about uh, speaking of grocery shopping? That was another culture shock for me was uh, having to beg my own groceries in Germany. Um, uh, in that sometimes happens in the U.S., but for the most part, the store does it for you. Um, is that a how about in Russia or at least uh, where you came from? Uh, will they beg your groceries for you or is that, or is that all up to you? Uh, definitely not. I, I think even in Moscow, they don't do this. There was a one supermarket chain, which I think has gone bankrupt in the last year, but they used to do this at the, at first and not all people liked it because some people said, well, I don't know how the other person is going to pack my bag. I, I know better how to pack my uh-huh. own bags. And I know better where to put the stuff in. Um, So do you have any um, family uh, still in Russia? Uh, Yeah. Um, Well, it's mostly only my uh, grandparents. My mother has moved to Germany uh, last year. Okay. And yeah. So it's basically my grandparents and some friends of mine, but a lot of them have uh, migrated after... uh, 2022 to like other countries so basically there is barely anyone in russia that i know right at the moment okay and is that uh elephant in the room is 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 that largely because of the war yeah it's largely because of the war and also most of my like friends that i had in russia they're all programmers software developers it 
personnel, which uh, means that they know English very well, they can earn a lot of money, they have enough finance. So those are people who are like the first to leave the country because the companies that were working at, were, like the half of them were working at the companies with abroad offices anyway. So they got just relocated uh, often for free or at the company's cost. And others just found for them a job in a different country, different region, and they just uh, left the country. It's it's an interesting thing, and uh, I don't know if we can really reflect on it until it's all over, and probably many years later. Um, but the I've talked with a lot of people that have been affected by this and have moved um, uh, out of out of Russia into different parts of Europe. But we had like a company I was talking to a handful of people that they all live, they all worked together uh, in St. Petersburg and now they're all over, all over Europe. Um, and so they're, they're working remote, which is great, but they don't see each other as much anymore. So they all, they all decided personal re- for personal reasons where they wanted to live, but for work reasons, they all still work together. So it's interesting interesting dynamic and I'm, I'm not sure how that'll affect the workplace in the future. So anyway, I think COVID has uh, affected the workplaces uh, a tiny, like a little time before that. And I think it has been a, like, it's weird to say that, but COVID has been a great help in uh, like establishing this new remote or hybrid workplace culture. And I think this makes the stuff a little bit easier so that, you know, some companies have, migrated to this hybrid slash remote work yeah. ethics and modes a little bit before that. Yeah. And in the, some of it, in the, a lot of it's great. A lot of it's a little bit of a bummer on my part, I think. Cause I, okay. So pre COVID, uh, I went to your, went to Germany probably a couple times a year, one or two times a year for meetings and stuff like that. Um, and for work, uh, then, uh, then COVID happened and everybody learned how to remote work, which is great. But now we don't have to, I don't need, I don't have to go to Munich to meet with a bunch of people because everybody knows how to use, um, you know, the remote meeting software now, which is just good, but I'd still like to go to Europe once in a while. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I guess I could do it yeah. on my personal time, but. Then I have to play for the plane ticket. So, yeah. <laughs> any plans to uh, come visit the U.S.? It's quite difficult for me at the moment because I'm still a Russian citizen. So mm. that means that a visa is required for me. It costs a hell of a lot of money, and I will have to go through a plethora of checks, like personal checks and everything else. And the U.S. has been notorious for their visa application process, where they will ask you like one of the questions on the uh, visa application for the US is name every single social network or internet account that you've had in your lifetime. <laughs> so, and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, let's see. Got my uh, Napster account back when I was 10. Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this is like, I have no idea like how many accounts I have created and deleted over time when I was uh, young and oh, reckless, I guess, exploring how, the early internet. How about traveling around Europe? Do you have any difficulty traveling to different countries in Europe? 
this not because uh well european union is uh luckily for me a thing so my visa or my work permit for germany uh extends over the whole european union or actually schengen area which is european union and a couple more countries which aren't in the eu and so there is a lot for me to do because i haven't really visited anything and i'm I think I'm going to start now when I have a job and a stable income and a stable residence so that I can visit some neighboring lands. Yeah. Netherlands, Belgium, something like this. Yeah, that that helps uh <laughs> having money to travel is is kind of important, right? So Yeah. Um but I like uh went to school in in Oregon and one of the the coolest things in Oregon is a is a, a lake in a in an old uh, volcano called Crater Lake. And it's beautiful, but um, I never visited it when I was here the first time. Uh, it wasn't until I I was working in Colorado and I did, took a vacation to Oregon and saw it for the first time. And uh, and now I've moved back to Oregon. Still have I haven't been there since I was since we lived there. <laughs> it's one of those uh, uh, things. I guess remember to be a be a tourist in the town you're in also because um, it's fun to explore. So. Um, well, you're, you're, I guess, just starting your career and that's pretty exciting and I'm glad to have you on board and cool that you're a maintainer of this or helping maintain one project and maybe there'll be more under your belt later. Um, any, uh, any parts of the Python community or Python that you're excited about moving in the next couple of years or? Um, I'm really excited about just the community as a whole because, I, I really do not want to jinx it, but Python has kind of avoided the whole drama that is happening. Like every second open source project is the, something is happening with it. Like something bad is happening. You have like Red Hat and Terraform and whatever pulling their projects back from open source. And then you have Rust with the whole trademark situation. And Python is just sitting there and people just enjoy the language and they enjoy the projects and just... Uh, love coding in it and I think this is what I like a lot about it well the board and the PSF work really hard to make sure that is smooth for everybody still so it it does seem like it's just there for us and I I appreciate that but it's um uh, people are working hard to make sure that stays that way I appreciate it that as well so um Definitely. any uh and uh any so are there any meetups in the area, uh, your area that you could give talks at or anything? Yeah, there are a few of them. And I really want to actually like start pushing some Python community here in the area or in Germany at all, because uh, this is a, a plan of mine, that, which I really want to pursue is to make like is, is to make Python courses for the university students and maybe also like school pupils uh or for everyone interested because i just realized when i finished university that i wasn't really taught python that well or web development because uh, everything was so theory focused that i think this is one of the reasons why companies do not really want to touch python is because universities don't want to touch the touch it in the first place so mm. you have a lot of workforce uh, potential workforce and only a handful of them know how to be a web developer in the Python ecosystem because they either learn it, learn it themselves or they're like uh, like a handful of universities that actually have it in their program, but most do not. Or at least this is what I 
yeah. uh, have seen. And this is what I really want to work towards changing. There, There is a local Python meetup in the area, which where I haven't been to yet because the very first meetup since COVID was like last month and I couldn't attend it. So let me, uh, let's see if they will continue uh, getting together with other people from the area. Well, I'm, I'm also curious if there's um, how many, how many remote meetups are around? Um, Cause I know the Boston meetup, for instance, uh, uh, is a remote uh I don't know if they're local also, but they're at least open there. You can check in remotely and I think it'd be kind of cool. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll look into seeing if I can find a list, but um, because uh, even remote meetups are kind of fun uh, to be able to, to do. Um, I mean, it's not the same experience as, as a bunch of people in the same, in the same room, but it also is, is a place to practice giving a talk and stuff like that. So um, well, I'm I'm actually excited to see what you come up with if you come up with any coursework for people to to learn the web or learn Python because I I think you're right I think it's um there's a mix of uh of like super basic stuff to try to get kids to like it which is not the right level um and there's there's stuff that's like uh, learn Python so that you can understand computer science concepts which also isn't the right level to for for a job. Um, so learning enough Python to do a job and do work to work in the web, um, I think there is a is a hole there. Um, there's some some information, but I think that we can have more. So um, yeah, if you ever get those courses done, let let it let me know, and I'll I'll help promote them. So it'd be cool. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, thanks so much for your time. Uh, I guess one of the things I I we haven't really brought up your name. Um, I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to try it. I may. Okay, I will. Uh, let me try it. Nikita Karamov. Did I get that right? This is no. one of the ways how you can pronounce it. Uh, it's all in the. So the pronunciation is actually mostly correct. It's all in the stress. So syllable stress. So okay. it's Nikita Karamov uh, or Karamov. But I. Th but I guess Karamov is actually way easier to say for the English ear. So this is what I've also been using for some time when I introduce myself to English-speaking people. Nikita Karamov. Karamov. Yeah. Hmm, cool. Uh, so that's a cool name. So anyway, thanks for your time today. And um, yeah, keep in touch. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Bye. Thanks for listening to Python People. Show notes are at pythonpeople.fm. Please subscribe to the show. You can also follow the show on Mastodon. Follow at Python People or at Brian Ocken, both on Fostodon.org. This episode is brought to you by the Complete PyTest course. PyTest is powerful and easy to get started. You owe it to yourself and your team to write clean, easy-to-read tests to save you time now and during maintenance. The Complete PyTest course will get you started with good habits and teach you some cool tricks when you need them later on. Even if you already use PyTest, why not level up? With a 30-day refund policy, you've got nothing to lose. Check it out at courses.pythontest.com. Thank you, Patreon supporters. You rock. Links to the course and Patreon sign-up are in the show notes. If you'd like to be on the show or know someone you'd like me to interview, reach out to me on Mastodon. I'm at Brian Aachen at fostodon.org. That's all for now. Thanks.